From ancient times, the Liturgy of the Hours has served as the public and communal prayer of God's people. It has been called the Vox Sponsae, the voice of a bride, addressed to her bridegroom. It is the very prayer which Christ himself, together with his church, offers to the Father for the glory of God and the salvation of the world. Hey everyone, you're listening to Vox Sponsae, a podcast on the Liturgy of the Hours, This is episode two, and my name is Nathan Wigfield. I serve as the director of the St. Thomas More House of Prayer in Cranberry, Pennsylvania, and I am joined by my good friend Gabriel Crawford in Seattle, Washington. But before we get there, today we begin our first series of discussions, which will focus on a document titled The General Instructions of the Liturgy of the Hours. This document was issued by the Sacred Congregation for Divine Worship in 1971, following a revision of the Liturgy of the Hours under the pontificate of Paul VI. Our hope is that these discussions help to give you a better appreciation for the meaning and significance of the Liturgy of the Hours in the life of the Church. So today we're going to begin with the first sentence of the first paragraph of the General Instructions, which states that public and common prayer by the people of God is rightly considered to be among the primary duties of the Catholic Church. All right. So, Gabriel, how are you doing? Hey, you know, for 5.30 a.m. Uh, in Seattle, I'm doing all right. I got my uh, my morning cup of coffee, and I'm, I'm ready to go. I got mine as well. All right. <laughs> yeah, Very you good. know, um, when I <clears> – not many people know this excellent story, but I knew I was devoted to coffee when I deployed to Iraq in 2007 and I took my French press and I hooked it to the top of my backpack and had a little tea kettle, (laughs) like electric tea kettle in my backpack and some coffee. And I was like, listen, I don't know what's going to happen over there, but I know I'm going to have access to coffee. Wow. (laughs) So it prepared me then. And I I think it'll prepare me now. Good. Good. Well, maybe it will give some fuel to our conversation today. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so yep. we're going to dive into the general instructions here. Uh, first, uh, first sentence of the uh, first paragraph of the general instructions uh, that states, public and common prayer by the people of God is rightly considered to be among the primary duties of the church. And one of the things that, uh, one of the places where I think would be good to begin is just uh, discussing what does it mean to say public and common prayer? You know, uh just a, I was thinking about the importance of that, like you're saying, where I think a lot of us don't really understand the nature of the liturgy of the hours. I know for myself for so long, I've always thought of it as a private devotion, uh, even before I became Catholic, right? Like I wanted to develop my relationship with Jesus and I know I needed to do that through prayer. And so I was searching for the various ways and I started to find fixed hour prayer. And, but it was always a private devotion. I would say even up until very recently, um, over the past couple months, I've been starting to understand more of the communal nature to it. And there were, were some really cool opportunities in seminary of, of praying the Liturgy of the Hours with, with, uh, with the bishop and with the other seminarians and priests, especially all the priests of the diocese. But even then, you know, I didn't quite really grasp the fundamental nature that 
the liturgy of the hours is principally a public and common prayer. So I think I do think this is going to be really good for us to uh, to continue to explore what that means. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, it's similar for me. I think when I first started to discover before becoming Catholic, fixed hour prayer, it was a, like you said, it was a private devotion. It was something that I looked uh, looked toward in order to provide discipline and structure to my prayer life, which is a great thing. And I think I carried that into my practice of praying the Liturgy of the Hours when I discovered it, uh, especially when I came into the church. I continued, I picked up the Liturgy of the Hours, I prayed it, but mostly it was done by myself. And I saw it purely as another one among many devotions that I could draw inspiration from, one of many devotions that uh, I could that I could take advantage of. And, and so as I prayed the liturgy of the hours on my own, I realized, wow, this is really good. But I started to notice uh, even within the structure of the prayer itself, it assumed that there were other people present. You know, you think of, you know, the responsory that immediately follows a reading of sacred scripture. It assumes that there's somebody responding. You think of the intercessions, etc. And so I started to really wonder what would this look like if I prayed this with with others. And when I began to pray with others, whether it was you know somebody who's come, I think in our last episode we talked about Gabriel when you came over to the house and we prayed evening prayer together. But I think even when I began to uh, pray this uh, in group settings, uh, especially in the parish, we started to realize that there was something powerful, there was something even visceral that we felt when we gathered together to pray the Liturgy of the Hours that we didn't necessarily experience when we tried to do it by ourselves. And we actually, we had a longing. You know, I think each week that we came together to pray evening prayer in community, uh, we had a longing for that. And it was actually, you know, to go back home and to pick up the Liturgy of the Hours and to pray it by ourselves there just was, there was always something missing. And so I think I'm right with you. I as well have uh, just started to discover the beauty of the church's prayer, especially when it is a pray, when it is prayed according to its nature in a public and communal way. Hmm. How do you think we, how do you think we define public? So when it says uh, public and common prayer by the people of God, how do we define public? Do I think it's a good qu- yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, I'm going to start with because I think this language, uh, while it certainly you know can be found in a number of places, uh, I want to draw our attention to Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the dogmatic constitution on the sacred liturgy, which came out of Second Vatican Council, and I want to use its language of contrasting public and private, um, and so. What Sacrosanctum Concilium says is that liturgical services are not private functions, meaning that they pertain to the whole body of Christ. Now, having said that, you know, I think there, there should be some clarifications because just because they're not private does not mean that when you pray it by yourself, it loses its public and communal nature. Because any time that we pray the Liturgy of the Hours, because it is liturgy, 
uh, because it is a gift of Christ himself that he has given to his church, that when we come to the liturgy, we're participating not only with those who are praying you know, throughout the world presently, uh, but also participating with those who are offering the praises of God in heaven. Uh, so we're, we're joining with the prayer of all the angels and saints. And so even when we pray it by ourselves, we're still joining in a public and communal prayer. However, when it is offered publicly, when it is offered communally in the church, or when we're praying it in, in community, it manifests the church more clearly. This is the language of the general instructions, that it manifests the, church, the nature of the church more clearly and the unity of the church because we're joining hearts and voices physically to offer the praises of God. And this becomes a sign and even, might we say, a sacramental of sorts that conveys the truth of what is happening here. The faithful are coming together to offer, offer the praises of God and joining that, that prayer to that of Christ in heaven. You know, when I was, I was laying in bed last night thinking about this and thinking about that question of, well, how do I define public? I was thinking about state land, so state park, right? Mm-hmm. A state park is different kind of land legally than private land, hmm. and, and, and it's public, right? Anybody can access it. Mm-hmm. Or a, but, if I, but then if I think of, like, let's say a golf course, Right? You have public golf courses, but then you have private golf courses. And a private golf course, you have to be a member of that golf course. But a public golf course, anybody can come to. Mm-hmm. Anybody can come there and play golf. When the, It sounds like the term public, when the church is using this term, it means something more than simply everybody has access to it. and You don't have to be part of this niche club to pray the liturgy of the hours does that resonate with you yeah i think so i think it's a you know in a sense what it's what it's conveying is that that the prayer is public means that it is not just available to anyone but it's actually it's public nature actually reveals something about what is objectively happening as we pray this prayer. And so it's not just about who is invited, uh, that everyone's invited, although that's true. It is about to say that it's public and common is more about the reality from which it's derived. Hmm. That it's, there's actually an undergirding reality that when we pray this prayer publicly and communally, that what is revealed is something much bigger than it's... Because what's revealed is the very nature of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I, later in the general instructions, it's going to say the liturgy, the hours, I think you read this, like other liturgical actions is not something private. So private is certainly contrasting with public. And which led me to, I've been uh, exploring the deliverance ministry and i'm reading this well i I just finished it this excellent book by neil lozano he's he's kind of behind the unbound model of uh deliverance ministry and i was actually sitting in a meeting last week 
and with the missionaries at church. And uh, we started talking about prayer ministry and that led into a discussion about deliverance ministry. And one of the, one of, one of the nuns that were there kind of responded, well, well, you can't, when you do deliverance ministry, you can't ever speak authoritatively in the name of Jesus. That's reserved for the priest alone. And I was really troubled by that because that was distinct uh, and different from, from, how I, from how I understand it. And so I started to explore that question. And I came into kind of like, a, I think helps us understand this, where in the catechism, speaking of the rite of exorcism, it says, this is 1673, when the church asks publicly and authoritatively in the name of Jesus Christ, that a person or object be protected against the power of the evil one and withdrawn from his dominion. It is called exorcism. So the term uh, publicly, and this is what Neil Lozano takes up in his book. I was like, oh man, he, uh, he, he helps me answer, answer this. The term publicly helped develop the rumor that only a validly ordained priest is authorized by the church to use the imperative command that's vocally commanding a spirit to believe. Hmm. And so he takes up this question of, well, that this rumor developed because we've, we failed to properly distinguish what the church means by publicly and what the church means by privately. And he says this, a public ministry refers to the public presentation or representation of the church's ministry, that is, ministries representative of the bishop. So let me say that again. A public ministry refers to the public presentation or representation of the church's ministry. And it's repre- that's the key. It's representative of the bishop. Mm-hmm. And private ministry is not one that is conducted in isolation, but rather a ministry that is distinct from a public assembly, the official church. And he then quotes uh, Father, Father Jeffrey Grobe, and he did a doctoral thesis on the the rites of exorcism, mm-hmm. the one in 1600 and, and more recently in 95, I think. And he says an exorcism is considered public when an authorized person using an approved rite does it in the name of the church. A private exorcism is not bound by the same constraints and may be celebrated by any of the faithful. Hmm. And so here, I mean, when he says a private exorcism, simply exorcism means to like speak authoritatively. And so he, he's speaking of, of private versus public. And, and that's the key in how it relates to the office. The office, and, and see if this resonates with you, the office is public, means that it is a public presentation of the church's prayer. Mm-hmm. It is the church in communion with Rome that authorizes how this prayer is prayed, since it is not something private. It is prayed in the name of the church. Yeah, I think the way that in relationship to the Liturgy of the Hours, the way that the church kind of treats it is that there are ways of praying the Liturgy of the Hours that are that manifest the truth of the prayer and what is happening more more perfectly. And... Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that when you pray it privately, there is, there's still the objective reality of what's happening in that prayer, that you're still being joined to the prayer of Christ with all of his angels and saints in heaven and to all the faithful in the world. However, the revelatory effect of 
the prayer, when it is prayed publicly and communally, is actually a sensible sign. It's not just something that I benefit from individually, but it actually becomes a sensible sign both to the church and to the world as to what is, ha- what is happening here. And so the language that's used in the general instructions is that, you know, it says the liturgy of the hours, like other liturgical services, as we just said, is not a private function, but pertains to the whole body of the church. It says it manifests the church and has an effect upon it. And because of this, in its ecclesial celebration, it is best seen and especially recommended when it is performed together with the bishop surrounded by his priests and ministers. So, but what it, what it gets at there is that when the bishops are surrounded, when a bishop is surrounded by his priests and other ministers in the local church offering the liturgy of the hours, it manifests the church more perfectly and has an effect upon it that is actually not there when you just, when you pray it privately. So there is some, there is a privileged form of praying the liturgy of the hours when it is done by a bishop in communion with his priests. But I would argue that it's also, I mean, that's, that would then be true of the representative of, of the bishop, which would be a priest. But yeah. then you continue to go on and how the faithful can exercise their common priesthood is that they gather together and they offer this prayer as well. Um, I think there's, you know, different levels there at work, but all of them, because they're offered public and communally, have a a higher revelatory effect than does a pr- when I'm praying the prayer in private. I think what we're touching on here has to do with how things are ordered to the true, the good, and the beautiful. If I, and, and not if, but when I pray in my room alone, one of the offices, it is less perfect, um, and not in a moral sense, but orders towards the good. It is less perfect than praying it as a family, which Mm. is less perfect than praying it with a group of members of the church, which is less perfect than praying it with the priest, which is less perfect than the whole, like the church, the local parish gathered, like let's say the bishop uh, Archbishop Achen would come and visit, and we would pray with the priest and the archbishop and the people, and that is a more full, perfect sign yes. of the whole church when it's prayed publicly than if I would pray it privately in my room. Yes. I think we're talking about degrees uh, to, yes. which, to which each example or each situation uh, bears witness to, or is is a sign, is a visible sign, is an effective sign of the unity of the church. Because I think that's really what's you know in the in the liturgy of the hours, when it is publicly manifest, you know in celeb- in its fullest sense, you know with the bishop gathered with his priests, ministers, and all the faithful. When this is done, it manifests by degree much more perfectly, the unity of the church, right? Having said that, I think even, you know, even when I pray the prayer privately, there is an objective reality that I'm entering into here with with this prayer. Uh, There is the reality that my prayer is being joined to that of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, that I am 
to an extent exercising my common priesthood and offering up the sacrifice of praise and that I'm doing your that voice. You. The, your voice is joined to Christ and Christ's voice is joined to yours. Yes. He is praying within you and through you. Right. That that's, that that's true. That that remains true. Having said that, I think what people experience generally is that when you have an experience of praying it publicly and communally, whether it's just with a group of the lay faithful, whether it's, you know, with your family, uh, whether it is in a, in a church setting uh, within a parish, uh, you experience the, the fullness more and you, you see it. It serves as a kind of sacrament uh, by which you see the unity of the church through her praise. You witness that more clearly. And when you taste that and when you experience it, it makes private recitation even harder. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think too, you know, when I go, when I go home to visit family for Christmas, you know, not, none of them pray the liturgy, of the hours, you know, some, mm-hmm. most of them are not Catholic. Uh, so when I go home for Christmas, I tend to slip out of regular conversation, things going on, at least try to get morning, midday and evening prayer in. And I kind of slip away. I go to I go to a room and I pray by myself. And you know, since I've experienced the public and communal kind of aspect or the nature of the prayer, and I've been, uh, you know, here at the St. Thomas More House Prayer, we make a public and communal offering uh, every day of the Liturgy of the Hours. But also, even praying it with uh, my wife and my kids at bedtime, to pray it privately is just it's it's a struggle. <laughs> It's a struggle to do to do it. Um, it's like I've I've received a taste of what it's like to unite hearts and minds and voices in the prayer, and when that happens, there's just a there's a cohesion. There's a a sense. There's even sensible graces uh, that I experience in that that do not avail themselves to me when I pray when I pray it privately. I mean, it's kind of like being outside on a sunny day and you can feel the warmth of the sun and you're like, ah, vitamin D. This is great. <laughs> we're all vitamin D deficient here in Seattle. So we're all, <laughs> but you feel the warmth of the sun and it brings joy to your heart. And then the cloud, a cloud passes over. I think especially on a wintry day, cloud passes over and it gets cold. And it's, it's kind of like, when you're praying with others, the cloud has passed away and has moved away and you feel and you experience in, in the depths of your mm. soul the, the reality of the goodness and beauty of the church gathered together mm-hmm. versus when I'm praying alone. And I, I mean, and maybe this falls apart because I have some tremendous times of prayer in private, but you know, Jesus says it himself, when two or three are gathered together, there I'll be. When two mm-hmm. or three are gathered together in my name, I will be with them. And there's a certain reality that we experience in prayer together of the presence of Christ distinctly. Right. You know, and especially with the liturgy. And maybe that's the part of the point, especially with this liturgical prayer, because it's distinct from a private contemplative prayer. With the office, it is by nature a public and communal prayer. 
And so it's going to express itself a little bit different. Right. And there's, you know, and I think it's important to get into that distinction. It's like, you know, what, uh, what are we saying here? You know, are we saying that uh, the liturgy of the hours, public and communal prayer, uh, everybody should just give themselves fully to, to this prayer and kind of forget their private devotions? No, absolutely not. This is not to set up a, a tension or even competition between public and communal prayer on the one hand and then private devotions on the other. I think it's to recognize mm-hmm. uh, the source of all devotion which is always found in the liturgy. And the reality is, is that sometimes when, when people hear you talk about the liturgy of the hours as being liturgy, because that is a new concept for them, because that is something that they've never really considered before, that it is part of the church's liturgy, which is by nature public and communal, it's almost like, why are you so set on the liturgy of the hours? You know, I pray my rosary. I have the Divine Mercy Chaplet. By the way, I love praying the litanies, et cetera, et cetera, right? And it's like all of, a, all of a sudden what you have set up is this competition between the liturgy and private and or private devotions. Mm-hmm. And I think what the church is getting at here is that the, there is a, a beauty in the hierarchy of liturgy uh, on one hand and private devotion on the other. And there's a source that liturgy always serves as the source from which all devotion flows. What's interesting is that when you look at the teachings of the church, when you look at how the church understands the liturgy of the hours together with the sacrifice of the mass, is that they're actually they're the source of a beautiful and flourishing and abundant devotional life in the church. That That would be... That would be the end. The end would be that that because the liturgy is celebrated, because the liturgy is being offered so faithfully, that the devotional life of the church would actually be more abundant. That there would be yeah. even even more devotions. That they but they would always find their source in the liturgy. And right. even if even if we're not talking about let's say a rosary or divine mercy chaplet or litanies, even if we're talking about you know, contemplative prayer or, you know, meditation, um, you know, to mental prayer, uh, as we talk about these things, that these would, especially these would find their source in the liturgy, that where you have the closest contact with Christ on this side of eternity, we would find the source of our most intimate communion with Christ in the liturgy. And that would just, you know, uh, blessed Clama Marmion, and you'll hear me quote, bless Clemo Marmion time and time again, because he's just one of my favorite writers. And he writes so beautifully on the, on, uh, on the divine office. But he asks the question, he says, what is the, or what is contemplative prayer, but an extension of praying the divine office? What is uh, meditation or mental prayer, but continuing to, uh, to enter deeply into the church's liturgy? And to, and to reap the fruits, to harvest the fruits that we've, that we've received from Christ himself through the liturgy that he himself has given to the church. Yeah, and what we're, what we're getting at is since the office is not something private, it is common, which it's been from the very beginning. It belongs, the office belongs to the whole body of the church. 
which it manifests and influences, that the mm-hmm. office manifests and influences, so affects the whole body of the church. So praying the liturgy of the hours manifests the whole church, and it manifests it in a, as a more perfect sign prayed with the whole community. And that is something distinct from our private prayers. And distinct even, dare I say, from from private adoration of the Blessed Sacrament exposed upon upon the monstrance. You know, mm-hmm. that we we love adoration. And that even adoration is something private. Mm-hmm. It's a private devotion. It's it's intrinsically connected to the celebration of the Mass, but the office manifests the whole church in a very specific way. In what you're saying, um, in the book, The Soul of the Apostle, whoever wrote it, I can't remember his name, and he, he emphasizes the same thing, that the private devotional life of the individual is going to flow from his devotion to the liturgical practices of the church, is going to flow from the celebration of the Mass, and it's mm-hmm. going to flow from the office, because the office is intrinsically connected to the celebration of the Mass. And so it becomes a source, a wellspring, uh, from which our private prayers flow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, just to uh, confirm what you're saying, there's a, there's a paragraph in the Catechism, it's 1178, that says that the Liturgy of the Hours, which is like an extension of the Eucharistic celebration, I mean, that's something to, to think about there, that Liturgy of the Hours as an extension of the Eucharist does not exclude, but rather in a complementary way, calls forth the various devotions of the people of God, especially adoration and worship of the Blessed Sacrament. And so it's not like the two compete. The two exist. Right. The two, actually, the one exists because of the liturgy. And so it always points back to the liturgy and it always receives its inspiration from the liturgy. So the liturgy ought to inspire us to want to be for the want to be before the blessed sacrament more, and being before the blessed sacrament ought to ought to send us back to ought to order our hearts in such a way as we can't wait to get back to the liturgy. Mm-hmm. I want to emphasize this point from from the general instructions where it says, and I think this is when we say that the office manifests the whole body of the church. The instruction says the church is a community and it must express its nature as a community in its prayer as well as in other other ways. And and that's very specific, that the church must express its nature as a community. And and so when the we think of when we speak of nature, we're speaking of something intrinsic that is dynamic. And it's oriented towards an end. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this is really countercultural because the expression, we, we say this, the expression of nature speaks of God. When the church expresses its nature as a community, it is speaking of God. Hmm. This is this is from Romans 120. Since the creation of the world. God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, 
being understood from what has been made. And, and what Paul is getting at is when we, when we perceive nature, um, let's, let's say the nature of things, the, the things around us, uh, the things that have been made, that they, they manifest aspects and things, I could say things about God in a certain way, his invisible qualities. So the liturgy, the, the church, expresses things about the nature of God. And I, I think we need to engage that question, like what invisible qualities of God are perceived when the church expresses its nature as a community through prayer? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a big question, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think that the church, when, we, when the church expresses its nature as a community, what is it saying about God? the obvious one would be that God is community. Um, yes. So, yes. you know, so we ground the church's prayer. We ground uh, the public and communal nature of the liturgy, not so much in legal terms, but we, we ground the nature, the public and communal nature of the liturgy in the very nature of who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Exactly. And that is so important. The, the very nature of God, which we, we can only know this by revelation, is, is relational. Mm-hmm. That the Father so deeply loves the Son and that the Son adoringly receives the love of the Father and returns it. And the Holy Spirit is this dynamism of love that is the third person of the Trinity. And we're created in the image and likeness of God. Who is relational. Therefore, we're relational, mm-hmm. right? Our brains, our limbic centers of our brain, when we're in relationship with other people, are, are affected. Mm. You know, if I mean, we like solitary confinement in a prison is a perfect example of. I was I was in solitary confinement once for about forty eight <laughs> hours. <laughs> forty eight hours, and this one's true, and. Uh, I was in solitary confinement for about 48 hours once and I like lost my mind mm-hmm. in 48 hours. I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating there. I didn't totally lose my mind. I lost my mind way before that, but <laughs> I'm, I just, I was like, Oh my, I'm craving relationship. I remember the door of the cell opening up and one of the guards kind of slid the tray of food through and I was just like I could see I saw his hand I was just like <laughs> I want to reach out and touch your hand that wouldn't be good because you'd probably like beat me down but it's like all I want is relationship all I want is touch all I want is because I'm my nature and who I am is the way I'm created is to be mm. in a relationship Wow, that is a power. I mean, that's a powerful image I mean I kind of want to hear that story but um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the image of, I mean, to think about, to think about that, you know, if Christ has given us the liturgy, he's given us the liturgy so that, that we might be able to share in the very praise that Christ, along with his body, offers to the Father in heaven. And that he's given us this gift on earth in order that we may experience that through sensible signs that we may experience that unity that the church shares in Christ as he offers that perfect praise 
to the Father and shares that with us, if that is the great gift that Christ has given us, and we continue to prefer a solitary, isolated expression of that prayer, Hmm. that it is fundamentally disordered. It's fundamentally disordered, not because we don't need personal communion with God. We've already established that meditation, contemplation, mental prayer, etc., that all of these flow from the liturgy. And so it's not, you know, there's not a competition here. These things are yeah. good. We, we need these things. I'm, oh, willing to say, I'm willing to say that to have the celebration of the, to have these liturgy things without private personal prayer, something would be broken. Right. Like it's not enough to have the office and to have the mass without that personal relationship with Jesus that's happening in private. Right. But you got you got to be able to to do the uh, to invert that as well. You know, yes. to say that a personal prayer life devoid of the liturgy is incomplete, and there is an extent to which you know you, you know. I mean, the reality is, is like that's the church says you got to be a mass on Sundays and holy days, right? As a bare <laughs> minimum, you got to be at mass because this is the this is the place where the church comes together to not only to receive from from Christ what He alone can give, but to offer ourselves in union with all of the faithful to Him, and to do that in a public and communal way is what we've been created for. It it restores us back to right relationship, not just with God, but also with each other. And so to just live, to live my entire life. I mean, you even think of the call to a solitary life, like think of, you know, um, you know, Anthony of the desert, whose feast day we just celebrated, you know, St. Anthony was known to, while he lived much of his life in sol- in solitude, in prayer with the uh, with the Lord, he would always come back for liturgy, because he couldn't just have liturgy by himself. He would he would always come back to celebrate the liturgy with the other with the other hermits, <laughs> and so there's this recognition that the public and communal nature of the liturgy is necessary for personal prayer and pers- like you just said personal prayer it's or i'm sorry the liturgy itself is incomplete without coming to fruition through a life of personal prayer yeah the last part of the line that we read from the beginning says that public and common prayer is among the primary duties of the church and that that's significant because if we would ask well what is the primary duty of the church in the compendium of the social doctrine of the church, it says helping man on the path of salvation is the church's primary and sole purpose. Hmm. That our primary and sole purpose of the church is to help man on her path to salvation. Hmm. And Pope Paul the sixth. See a saint now? Yep. Yeah. Saint Pope Paul the sixth um, says we wish to confirm once more that the task of evangelizing all people constitutes the essential mission of the church, that evangelization is the essential mission of the church aimed at accomplishing her primary and sole purpose to help man on the path of salvation. And what is more evangelistic, missional, 
purposeful than a community of believers who are united in heart and mind praying together to the one God who is a unity of heart and mind, a unity of, of persons mm-hmm. in one nature. Like that, like that is missional. That is evangelistic mm-hmm. to express the unity of the church that we're united together in heart and mind. Um, mm-hmm. And when, when our church is divided, like it is today, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we can't accomplish our mission of testifying to the Trinity, Trinitarian nature of God without being united together. That's fundamental. And the liturgy both accomplishes that unity and, as you said, manifests it. And so you think of, you know, John 17, where Jesus prays for his apostles and those who would uh, come after them, that they might all be one so that the world may see and believe. You know, so there's a, there's a reality that a large part of the church's mission uh, or the way that the church is on mission or evangelizing is by being made manifest. And where is she made most manifest, but in her liturgy. And I would argue that the why the liturgy of the hours is so important for it as well as the mass to be public and communal is because while the mass is an offering is a representation of Christ on our altars and through his sacrifice, we then come to commune with him. And by way of communing with him, we then share in communion with the rest of the body that as the mass serves that, that those two ends, both sacrifice and communion, that the liturgy of the hours expresses the natural outflow, the, what it means for the church to then respond to what God has done for us in Christ, which is to praise him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when we gather for the public and communal praises of God, and we don't just do it within the confines of our own home or our own room, that when we join, when we make the effort as Vatican II clearly stated was the desires of the council fathers was that the faithful would come together at the very least on Sundays and solemnities for Vespers. Why on Sundays and solemnities for Vespers? To offer the praises of God publicly and communally to the Father through Christ and thus bear witness to the world, our true end, man's true end, which is to praise and glorify God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the so church... This, go ahead. The church must express its nature as a community. What do you call it when you do not allow your reproductive system to express its nature? Contraception. Mm. You contracept. Right. When you, you don't allow your reproductive system to express its nature and you want to block its nature. Well, it's a, it, it's a spiritual contraception. It's a liturgical contraception. Mm. When we want to express the nature of the church in non-communal ways. If we want to say like, hey, I want to be about the mission of the church. And if I want to do it in ways that the church is saying, listen, like the office manifests the whole body of the church and the church must express its nature as a community. 
and we want to do it in other ways and re- and diminish or relegate or, or not even pay attention to the importance of the office and the celebration of the mass. We're missing it a little bit mm-hmm. because it needs to express its nature as a community in its prayer, as well as in other ways. Mm-hmm. Right. And this, I mean, this is why, you know, and, and this is, you know, right from, uh, I believe it's uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium. Maybe I might be reading here from the general instructions. I'm not sure I pulled this quote, but it's pastors of souls should see to it that the faithful are invited and helped by requisite instruction to celebrate the chief hours in common, especially on Sundays and feasts. They should teach them to draw sincere prayer from this and help them to understand the Psalms in a Christian way so that they may gradually come to use and appreciate the prayer of the church more fully. So there it is very explicitly stated that this is something that the faithful ought to be invited into. And this is, this ought to be one of those first priorities of the, of the church. Um, We should, probably close here because I know our next yeah. episode, we're going to fill this out maybe a little bit more and also talk about uh, the early church witness, the early Christian witness to the public and communal nature of, of this prayer. But to close out, I just want to want to say that there's, <laughs> there's a place in the general instructions that make this, it's, it's almost, if you're not reading it closely, you kind of miss it. But the fact that the church assumes that a public and communal offering is being made of the liturgy of the hours, thus expressing more clearly and manifesting the nature of, of the church, it says in, uh, in the general instructions, when, it, when it's talking specifically to sacred ministers, so to priests who are entrusted with, with a parish, it says sacred ministers have the liturgy of the hours entrusted to them in such a particular way, so it's acknowledging that priests actually have an obligation to the Liturgy of the Hours that others do not have. Um, So it's entrusted to them in a particular way. But it says this, that even when the faithful are not present, they are to pray it themselves with adaptations necessary under these circumstances. And so I think the reason why I want to end here is just because, you know, if anybody has doubts as to as to what, how the church sees the liturgy of the hours as being prayed by the church as a whole. If anybody has doubts that this is actually the church's intent, that this would be public and communal, the church actually instructs priests that because, they, because the liturgy of the hours has been entrusted to them in a particular way, that even when the faithful are not present, basically assuming that most often the faithful would be present in some regard for the praying of the liturgy of the hours. So even when the faithful are not present, they are to pray it themselves with adaptations. There's actually, need, you need to adapt the prayer to pray it privately. Hmm. So, I mean, you know I, I, go ahead. Do you want to finish your thought there? I just want, you know, I think I just wanted to say that there's, if there's adaptations necessary under the circumstances of praying it privately, what that tells me is that that's not the ideal way or the intent of the church is that the, as that the liturgy of the hours would be prayed privately. Yes, exactly. I think um, if I could sum up everything 
that we've said in this podcast so far in one sentence, it would be this. Public and common prayer by the people of God is rightly considered to be among the primary duties of the church. That's it. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> that is called a circle. There you not go. Not a triangle. We but just a bookended circle. our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, man. Well, this has been this has been good. Um, let's go ahead and, and close in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless us, protect us from, protect all, us evil, from all evil, and bring, and bring us, us to everlasting, to everlasting life. life. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. All right, Gabriel. Until Later. next time. Thank you for listening to Vox Sponse, a podcast on the Liturgy of the Hours brought to you by the St. Thomas More House of Prayer, a Catholic retreat center in the Diocese of Erie, Pennsylvania, with the mission of praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours, the public and communal prayer of the Catholic Church. For more information, visit us online at liturgyofthehours.org.